Hello, and welcome to another episode of New Work in Intellectual History. My name is Monika Wilczynska, and I'm a master's student at the University of St. Andrews. Today, I'm joined by Cesare Kutika and Laszlo Kontler. Cesare is a lecturer in, the, in British history at Paris 8 University, and his research interests include early modern political thought and the methodology of intellectual history. Laszlo is a professor of history at Central European University, and his research and publications focus on intellectual history, the history of political thought, translation and reception, and the production and circulation of scientific knowledge in early modern Europe. So Cesare and Laszlo came together to co-author a book titled Crisis and Renewal in History of European Political Thought. And it was published just last year in 2021. And we have the pleasure of talking about it today. So hello to you both. Hello, thank you. Good morning, thanks for the invitation. Yes, thank you so much for, for accepting and speaking to me today. So firstly, I think it would be great for our listeners to, to hear about the overview of the book and what is the what are the key points that you'd like to share with the listeners? Perhaps, Laszlo, you could begin. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. What are the key points? Uh, well, there are many, many, many key points. Mm. Uh, one, uh, maybe to begin with, uh, how this all began. Uh, uh, the, the book stems from a conference which we organized with the uh, European Society for the History of Political Thought in 2018. This was, I think, the fourth or fifth conference of the uh, society. Uh, and the topic was uh, crisis and renewal in the history of European political thought. And it's a, it's a sequel to some other uh, similar uh, volumes. Uh, it's also part of a series with, uh, with Brill, uh, which has uh, a close relationship to the society. Uh, now where the idea of the conference itself comes from, uh, Cesare will have more to say about it because I think uh, it was uh, his idea uh, at first. Uh, when we were thinking about what to, uh, what to offer as a topic for the next, next conference, that was around 2016-17, uh, 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 it seemed that uh, crisis was all around in, uh, in, in public discourse at the time, uh, not independently of uh, what was happening in Europe, uh, in the world, uh, crisis of finances, crisis of economy, crisis of uh, liberal democracy, as we were told, and many, uh, many other types of crisis. And then looking around uh, in the uh, literature on intellectual history, uh, we also found that uh, this was recognized by, uh, by colleagues. Uh, there were some very important studies uh, which uh, also inspired our thinking about the conference and then uh, about the volume, uh, which were uh, doing uh, even as much as identifying crisis as the uh, overarching discourse of uh, modernity uh, as it was emerging uh, since the 1990s, early 2000s. But retrospectively, uh, one could also say that uh, at least from the 1920s and 30s, crisis was already beginning to replace progress as the master narrative of uh, European uh, modernity. And in a way, uh, both progress and crisis are uh, rooted in the enlightenment vision of uh, the human uh, predicament. So we were looking at this literature, conceived the, the conference and the uh, 
the volume is basically a selection of uh, contributions uh, to the uh, to the conference, obviously uh, arranged into uh, meaningful and um, and hopefully well hopefully meaningful and sensible uh, thematic uh, units. Uh, I don't want to uh, take the floor too much. So, uh, uh, Cesare, would you uh, would you like to come in and share your views? Yes, thank you. Well, uh, Lazar, I think uh, brilliantly uh, summarised. Um, you know our intentions behind the both the conference and and the book. Um, yes, I, I would say that uh, in a way, one quick as Lazar already pointed out, one quick key question we had um, was how to think crisis in the singular and crisis in the plural as well, um, and especially to do so from a HPT, a history of political thought perspective. Because, you know, as Lazar said, there is an awful lot about crisis literature is immense. Um, and so in a way, this, this, this task, you know, how to present, how to, to think uh, about crisis presented three challenges, which I briefly summarized. The first one was um, the challenge of the discipline that both Lazar and I, and, and obviously others in, involved in the project, the society itself, um, uh, are involved in how to think crisis from the perspective of mythological perspective of the history of political thought. The second was the challenge of seeing how the thinkers that we normally work on, both canonical, say the, the big names, you know, Hobbes, um, Lipsius, um, Machiavelli, to see this, but also uh, uh, Hegel, uh, uh, Huntington, Toynbee, and so on and so forth, thought about crisis and above all how they reacted to crisis either because they themselves experienced crisis in their lives or uh, because they were uh, uh, analyzing crisis uh, uh, um, uh, uh, as, a, as a theoretical tool and the third challenge was a personal challenge in the sense that um, and we should say that um, last night where uh, especially in his initial uh, phases and 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 above all in the writing up the introduction by, we were helped by uh, Clara Mayer, who is a, 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 an expert on the uh, 20th century. So the three of us were uh, uh, challenged by uh, working on a topic, uh, uh, none of, of, of whom uh, was familiar with. So there was this sort of like threefold challenge to the uh, 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 initial key goal, which was how to think uh, uh, crisis, uh, both in the singular and, and plural. And, and one, uh, um, you know, a starting point was, in a way, the year 1954, in the sense that both um, Hannah Arendt and uh, Rainer Kozelek um, did say something very important about crisis uh, at that time. And also, as Nigel points out in the introduction, um, this was also the time where the debate, the historiographical debate about the uh, crisis of the 17th century, uh, in a way, uh, um, in England especially, erupted uh, through past and present and so on and so forth. So um, we wanted to see uh, what uh, the history of political thought could say uh, from an historically informed perspective about crisis and renewal, which is the other big category that often is forgotten. So in a way, we wanted to underline the creative aspect of the history of political thought, the reactive moment, 
leads to the creative moment in the history of thought and the all how to see how the authors that we work on dealt with it so these are in a nutshell a little bit the the key elements uh, the key motivations behind our enterprise thank you so much to you both for explaining that that has raised and sparked many questions many follow-up questions but perhaps um starting from the beginning uh talking about how this stemmed from the conference um could you tell me about the originality of the idea and how it is different in light of the research that's already out there because you've you've mentioned this quite a lot of material and crises well <laughs> uh are we the persons to talk about the originality of this project uh well i, I think uh, the originality lies in the multifold perspective, uh, I think. Uh, as Cesare was already pointing to it, uh, we are looking at crisis in the history of political thought from various angles. One of these angles is crisis as the trigger of uh, new types, new paradigms even, of uh, political thinking. So how uh, objective crisis, if there is such a thing as an objective crisis, how situations of crisis uh, are confronted by political thinkers or confront political thinkers and urge them uh, to uh, to find new new forms new ways of uh, of thinking uh, so crisis as uh, as a trigger as a motivation uh, as something that launches a paradigm change and and a paradigm shift obviously in the in, in the Kuhnian uh, sense uh, when uh, the circumstances when the situation becomes such that uh, new questions have to be asked uh, even before new answers are provided. And this is what happens in some of the cases uh, which, uh, which are being studied. Uh, 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 this is not entirely new. This has been done by Hans Barron, John Pukak, uh, the Republic meeting its liminality, et cetera, et cetera. But still there are things, there are new things that can be, can be said uh, about that. Uh, the other one is, uh, is how crisis at a topic inspires uh, uh, political thinkers to, uh, uh, to put forward uh, new ideas, how they conceptualize crisis, what crisis means for them uh, as, a, as, as, a, as a discursive tool, uh, as a concept, uh, and so forth. And uh, in, in many ways, uh, uh, it's, it's very interesting to, to go back to the etymological sense of, of, of crisis, uh, which of course comes from the Greek uh, verb krinine, uh, to judge, to decide, and so forth. There's the medical meaning from which other meanings are transported into various other areas of life. It's also interesting to observe that, and this again leads us back to Kozelek, uh, that uh, the root of crisis is the same as, uh, as that of critique, to criticize in the sense of, of judging, deciding, uh, making value judgments uh, about uh, something. And Kozelek's great paradigm is, of course, a kind of reading of the history of the uh, Enlightenment in which critical intellectuals come together in apparently, uh, according to Kozelek's uh, perspective, uh, somewhat disingenuously, uh, in the civil sphere, in the sphere outside the state, in the sphere outside the political, ostensibly making only political, uh, only moral uh, judgments, uh, refraining from moving into politics because politics under absolutism is a matter of, uh, of monarchs and their bureaucracies. Uh, 
but in this disingenuous way, by exercising criticism about the Ancien Regime, they actually precipitate uh, a crisis, which also leads to the rhetorical element uh, in crisis. The more you talk about crisis, the more crisis you are going to have. Uh, initially, it might start as an apparently innocent exercise, uh, talking about crisis as an opportunity for regeneration, for rebirth which is another meaning, uh, even in the medical sense uh, and the public political sense as well. Crisis is an opportunity to confront a critical situation and bring about some sort of renewal. So the patient either dies or is reborn or is, uh, is cured. Same about the body politic. But the more you talk about crisis, the less it becomes a, uh, an opportunity for regeneration and the more it generates newer and newer crises. Uh, this is a story brilliantly told in one of the, uh, uh, of the contributions to the volume of, about the French Revolution by Adrian O'Connor, uh, how eventually crisis talk generates revolutionary terror. Um, so there are these multiple layers, crisis as objective reality, uh, evoking new forms of political thinking, crisis as a topic of political discourse, and crisis as, as rhetoric, uh, which is particularly dangerous and problematic. Um, yeah, again, I, I'd yes. like to invite Cesare to, uh, uh, to, uh, to share. Yes, his... I have questions for Cesare as well, but thank you so much for this, uh, for this uh, explanation, because I think ultimately what I take away from this is the reassuring part is that after crisis is a possibility for renewal. And I think that's sometimes what, what we might need, being surrounded by crises uh, at the moment. Um, Cesare, would you like to add anything? Well, it, it's, it's very difficult to add anything more to what uh, uh, Laza so exhaustively uh, has said. Um, I would, uh, I mean, Laszlo gave a very, very accurate picture of, of uh, what we did here. And I would simply add the following, that, uh, in a way, the kind of um, concrete uh, output of, 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 of what Laszlo said. And one of our convictions, rightly or wrongly, um, was, is that a lot of work um, done on crisis, brilliant as it is, um, remains very stuck at a theoretical slash ontological slash epistemological, sometimes even metaphysical level. And we wanted to integrate the very much the historical component to it. And to give an example, what we wanted to do was to look at fundamental critical moments in history, say revolution, as Lazo said, the advent of modernity, the development of democratic ideals, but also looking at the metaphorical aspect, for instance, of crisis and renewal ideas of birth, of sickness, of regeneration, of death. And also we wanted to engage with the materiality, with the material and pragmatic aspects, facets of crisis. For instance, the institutional effects, the petitioning, uh, changes in sovereignty. And also with less study cultural phenomena linked to crisis. For instance, the idea of friendship, the perception of time. So this is one thing that we uh, we want to do. To give an example, um, in one of the chapters is about Althusius. And Althusius was obviously a philosopher, was a theorist, but was also somebody who was an, was an administrator, was somebody who was uh, asked to go and, and, and solve uh, a critical 
critical problems, a critical situation in the city of Hamden. So this is a, a an example of what um, we, we wanted to do. Um, the, the other thing is, for instance, if you look at Erica Benner's uh, essay, Erica Benner's by using um, a, a, a ancient uh, uh, Greek sources, but in a, and especially Machiavelli, she shows how crisis is something which has to do with the individual as well. And the taking assume your responsibility or responsibilities on the part of the individual so there is this idea of self-examination which is key to resolve a a, a a crisis so this interacts with the notion of, of carriage and obviously as laszlo said with the medical aspect diagnosis on one side the capacity to, to make distinctions and judgment as well um, so uh, these are some of the aspects that I think uh, are new to what um, to what we, we 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 did to look at these little uh, uh, things and, and to and to place them in precise historical uh, context. Wonderful, thank you so much. And since you're already uh, speaking, I'd like to ask you about how does this research that you found in crisis and renewal. Uh, have you found a link to your previous research specifically about demo democracy and anti-democracy? Is there something there? Yes, well, um, um, yes, indeed. Um, and it, it has to do with the uh, almost unpronounceable uh, uh, term of ochlocracy. Um, ochlocracy, incidentally, when we, when we uh, wrote this book, we thought about the book and, and we wrote the, 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 the book uh, and we asked, we went for the contributions. It was also a time when um, Donald Trump um, was still in, in power. Brexit had just almost kicked off. So there was a lot of um, uh, talking about the, uh, not just democracy in crisis, but the degenerations or the degenerative forms of democracy. And, um, one of the uh, and, and often lots, lots of these terms end with crassy. So, um, epistocracy epist is one of the terms that political theorists have been using recently by saying, "Look at what happens when you have the masses uh, which don't know anything about politics voting." You have Donald Trump, you have um, Orban, you have Erdogan, and so on and so forth. What we need is an epistocracy. So, a regime where a democratic regime where only people with episteme knowledge can actually uh, 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 be entitled to vote. So we, we worked uh, uh, very much in this climate and, and I was lucky enough to realize that in the 1640s in England, the term ochlocracy literally means the, that the government is in the hands of the rubble of the populace, the worst of the worst, the dregs of the dregs in a way. So people, worse than the people, um, was a concept which sprawled up a lot in the 1640s because England was going through a crisis, the civil war. And what was interesting was that this term was particularly used by Polybius and in what is called the cyclical uh, uh, theory of uh, political forms. In other terms, for Polybius briefly said, uh, each, for, each of, the of the three main forms of government degenerates. The degeneration of democracy is an ochlocracy. The, the interesting thing is what happens after a democracy has degenerated into an ochlocracy? And that is something that is not terribly clear in Polybius. So does the cycle or the circle re recommences? So we have a monarchy that degenerates into a tyranny, then we have an aristocracy, which is based in an oligarchy and so on and so forth. Or something new happens. And what I do claim in, in my, in my um, uh, article is that after an ochlocracy, 
uh, in the 1640s and early 50s in England, people started to think that there was need for a strong, wise, rational uh, uh, um, man. And if you think that Leviathan was published in 1651, one hypothesis I, I, I set forward is or set forth is that uh, uh, that was the answer to that ochlocratic crisis affecting England. So that's the connection with my work on democracy and anti-democracy. Thank you. That's a very if, good. If, if, I, if, I, if I can come in for a second, uh, um, the question is not relevant to me because I have no work at all to which is this is relevant. So I'm fairly interested as an enlightenment scholar. But uh, what Chesra said about the uh, present-day resonances, Trump, Brexit, and so forth. I mean, the thing which political scientists usually refer to as democratic backsliding with this uh, very elegant uh, term. Uh, and uh, in studying this, the historical examples or the historical template that is usually mentioned is uh, our 20th century. Weimarization is a well-established uh, term, but uh, but again, as some of the contributors uh, remind us, uh, I think uh, Erika Benner has been mentioned, but also Pascal Iskitromilidis. Uh, these are two brilliant parallel studies, both of which uh, take their cue from ancient Greek and, uh, and Italian uh, humanist circumstances. So what they remind us is that uh, some of the democratic backsliding today uh, happens in established long-standing democracies, not new ones, uh, which were uh, born out of uh, uh, the turmoil that followed World War I uh, with an obviously precarious uh, situation around. Uh, so the templates which uh, might need to be examined uh, are those established examples of popular government, as they were called, uh, uh, Democratia or uh, Respublica, etc. Uh, for which we may need to look back into the more remote past, uh, like ancient Greece, like uh, uh, Renaissance uh, Italy, uh, and maybe some others. Uh, and what I found there is, uh, is, is indeed uh, this emphasis on the responsibility of the individual citizen uh, to become educated, to become well-informed. I think it's in, in Erika's uh, 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 text that you find this, uh, very nice uh, way of putting it that these people were skeptical auditors of political spin, uh, and that's what uh, modern European citizens uh, uh, might uh, might need to educate themselves uh, to become as well. But there are many other uh, uh, academically as well as publicly important aspects of some of the uh, of the studies that uh, that we have here, uh, studying crisis in political in the history of political thought or the ways in which political thinkers of the past uh, dealt with crisis uh, may lead to uh, important revisionist uh, types of historiography, uh, like what you find in uh, Mark Somers's uh, piece on and how to escape crisis when political institutions fail. Uh, there are still other quasi-political formations like the household, like the family and so forth, which have always been uh, studied or which traditionally have been studied as counterparts of the organized polity to which it, it is possible according to thinkers from Xenophon to uh, uh, Alberti. Uh, to which it is possible to retreat uh, in times of, and, and, so, uh, and, and somehow hold out until the situation becomes less critical uh, uh, during times of crisis. Or uh, there's a, a, a very interesting uh, treatment by Nathaniel Boyd of uh, Hegel's relatively little known fragments on the 
constitution of the Holy Roman Empire, uh, the minuscule study of which re-establishes Hegel uh, in the German tradition of political Aristotelianism. So from this kind of angle, it doesn't look like the, uh, the great idealist innovator of German philosophy, but, but rather more uh, someone who works within within uh, an established paradigm in confronting uh, something which is obviously a real real existing uh, crisis. Uh, so, in fact, um, I, I can't and do not want to hide my enthusiasm about the uh, the individual contributions. And uh, I, I apologize to all the uh, contributors whose names have not been uh, mentioned here. Uh, it's just because we have this uh, short time span and, uh, and we have to, uh, to keep it short. So I would uh, encourage everyone uh, to produce the volume um, uh, as a whole. Yes. Uh, sorry, mm -hmm. Monica, Please. sorry, if I may, in keeping it short. And to add to that, the, the, to answer your question as well, the other, the, the, the other key thing is that um, we, and many contributors, underline the fact that in the early modern, from the early modern period onwards, crisis, the idea of crisis was not just uh, particularly not negative. Nowadays, when we think about crisis, we only think about something negative. Whereas these people had an idea, a, a twofold idea of crisis, perfect positive crisis, imperfect negative crisis, depending on the uh, whether such a, a crisis led to full recovery uh, or the body politic in, in this case, or whether it was the, you know, the result was the irrevocable end of a healthy state. And this is something, for instance, that emerges in Catanzaro's essay, which is the first one opening the, the volume, and in other as well, if you know, in Bonds uh, on Toynbee, in, on the one um, by Fourier. You know, this idea that crisis is not just something negative, but it's something that from crisis we can learn a great deal, because the idea is that a crisis can also be positive. Yeah, I think it's... Um... <laughs> a good uh, taste of, of all the different contributors. And um, listening to you now, one question comes to my mind, which is, uh, I think it's also mentioned in, in the introduction, which is that often we use the word crisis carelessly and the vocabulary of crisis is, uh, you know, it's applied to a multitude of situations. So I, I wonder how you went about defining that, uh, if you could mention briefly about this idea. <laughs> Either one of you, perhaps Laszlo, you look like you want to tell me. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I was a co-organizer. The idea, mm -hmm. uh, as I mentioned, initially came from uh, from Cesare, and then I tried to educate myself uh, uh, in the literature on crisis. Although I have to say that uh, now that you ask me, uh, one of my first seminar papers at the university back around 1980 uh, concerned the general crisis of the 17th century, which was mentioned here. I mean, that literature around past and present and, uh, uh, and, uh, and, and so forth, uh, which, uh, which predicated uh, the, the various kinds of crises uh, uh, which European society underwent in the 16th and 17th uh, century as a kind of uh, waiting room for the coming of modernity. Uh, I mean, uh, the breakthrough of capitalism, uh, modern state building, uh, enlightenment, uh, and so forth. Uh, uh, but apart from that, uh, I, I do not have uh, any empirical research agenda uh, for the time mm -hmm. being, at least, uh, that, that uh, would focus on the subject. Okay. Monica, Understood. the crisis of the mm -hmm. internet seems to have been resolved, so oh, I can hear great. you better now. <laughs> so there is renewal coming. <laughs> Wonderful. I love this example. 
Okay, are you able to take us through the, the earlier crash question? Did you hear that? No, can you repeat it, please? Yeah, so uh, I was wondering about the vocabulary that we often use crisis and apply it to a multitude of situations. And I wonder how you saw that um, in your own work. How did you define it? If there is a specific definition that fits all. <laughs> well, that is a tough one. Um, I think, it, for, first of all, I think in my work, I found that a problem was um, to be able to define uh, the um, the Civil War period in the 1640s in England uh, as a crisis. So in other terms, can historians, there's a quite a bit of a debate, a historiographical debate about the legitimacy of using the term crisis to apply it uh, as an historiographical uh, tool or means of understanding and comprehension of a certain period. Can we, uh, men and women, historians of the 20th and 21st century, define a particular historical period, like in this case, the Civil War uh, in England, the 1640s, as a crisis? Yes, we can, but um, do the sources, did the sources that um, uh, uh, from that period use the word crisis? So that was a, the first problem or challenge that I had. And whereas the majority of the uh, uh, sources I encountered use crisis in, in this medical sense, which both Lars and I have already illustrated, of a, of a climax, you know, the, the crisis is the moment where a disease reaches a climax. Um, and after which either death or life will come out. The great majority of sources use that. However, in the 16, 1640s, there are people uh, who start using crisis in a similar way to ours, i.e. saying that the conflict between parliament and king is a crisis. It's a critical moment, and uh, there is a lot of uncertainty. There's almost this idea of a vortex, of a spiral of uncertainty, out of which... Uh, a lot of uncertainty uh, is supposed to ensue, um, to, to, to be yielded. So um, this was one of the things that terminologically I, I uh, uh, encountered. So I tried to combine the emergence of the term that I used earlier, the emergence or the more frequent usage of the term that I, I referred to before, clocracy, with this idea of a spiraling crisis going out of, um, out of hand and how, in a way, Hobbes's Leviathan could potentially be considered to be as the solution to a very critical moment. Yes, thank you. Uh, okay. if, if I can pick up and, and, mm -hmm. and follow maybe a, a little bit on this uh, thread uh, of thought, uh, there, there seems to be also an idea of, uh, of the normalization or the routinization uh, of crisis, uh, namely that uh, the the history of modern humanity is, uh, is not so much progress from one stage to the other uh, based on the belief and acting upon that belief in uh, the in human capacity for applying reason to uh, ever improving its condition towards uh, uh, higher grades, higher levels of, uh, of happiness. Uh, but there's the idea that in order even to achieve this, uh, you need these critical moments which create opportunities for renewal or not. Uh, so if you look at uh, library catalogs, for instance, which, which I did uh, when working on the, uh, on the introduction, if you look at library catalogs, uh, you find that there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of titles of, uh, of books with crisis uh, in, in, in the title. Uh, 
there's virtually not a decade in modern European history uh, which has not been here or there designated uh, as a period uh, of crisis. So it seems that ever since at least the 17th, 18th century, is not only the 17th century was a was a period uh, of uh, of all sorts of crises, but uh, but European societies have been living permanently in a state of uh, of crisis, and crisis has become. Uh, the new normal. Now, uh, what are we going to do with that? Which leads me to uh, uh, to uh, uh, recall a research project which I had the opportunity to look into uh, very recently, which looks at the COVID crisis and the way in which uh, the COVID crisis is dealt with in various kinds of societies. And it seems that in uh, East Asian societies, uh, which on the one hand uh, have been uh, more accustomed to being confronted with these strange viruses, and on the, on the other hand, uh, have uh, rather different traditions of uh, social, culture, and so forth discipline, um, they are more successfully confronting the crisis uh, because it is dealt with as a normal condition of uh, everyday life. And, uh, the question is whether this kind of template, if it is a template that can be empirically uh, um, um, corroborated, whether this template uh, can be made to work uh, in completely different uh, social, political, cultural uh, situations uh, elsewhere. Uh, so this idea of normalization of crisis, the idea that there's not only uh, and maybe not even primarily progress uh, in uh, uh, progress as uh, as a model uh, or the overarching frame that is available to uh, investigate modern uh, European uh, history. Um, it's an old idea. The 18th century, the figures of the Enlightenment were not at all uh, uncritical, uh, if I'm allowed to pun, uh, about their. Uh, devotion to progress, there was a great deal of anxiety about the possibility to fall back because of various kinds of critical uh, interventions uh, at an earlier uh, stage. So this normalization of crisis, instrumentality and the possible instrumentalization uh, of, uh, of crisis for the sake of renewal uh, is, uh, is, I think, also a very interesting takeaway. Uh, which, which we, we have uh, from this volume. Virtually all the studies uh, in the volume address uh, that, uh, that kind of issue. Uh, on the other hand, uh, uh, to come back to the, uh, uh, to the risks or the dangers uh, that stem from the uh, rhetorical uh, aspects of the, uh, of the issue, um, talking about crisis will generate crisis and will also isolate people. Uh, from, the, uh, from participation in finding the solutions, and it can easily uh, uh, lead to self-appointed prophets who will put forward and push their own agendas for uh, the solution of crisis. So indeed, uh, we ought to educate ourselves to be skeptical auditors of uh, mm. political spin. In this sense, I think our volume if is this message that the volume conveys is that crisis is an opportunity. So it's not just something that stagnates and makes people bogged down. It's actually an opportunity. It's an opportunity for renewal, an opportunity for reflection. Um, so I think uh, this is actually related to what Lazar just said. The COVID situation has brought forward a crisis of the experts, a crisis of expertise. And I think our volume, even if we don't tackle that because it was too late to do so, 
could be potentially a platform from which people could, you know, a platform from which people could, which people could use or from which people can actually engage with this new crisis of expertise. But crisis has to be an opportunity, not just something that people get stuck in a whiff and, and cry. You know, it's not crisis, what crisis, the Callaghan 1979 you know, British, uh, famous British headline, uh, Daily Mail, uh, one of the tabloids, the crisis is an opportunity for renewal. I think that's uh, it's a very important message that we have in that volume. Yes, thank you for sharing that message. I think many of us want to hear this exact message. Um, and actually it ties in, what you just said ties in with my following question, which is where does this volume go next? Have you got any, any work, any future work that can be done as a result of what you found in crisis and renewal? Well, I, I take, sorry, I just, I take the, I start first for, because it comes to mind. Well, first of all, it has to be said that um, w- one highlights, I suppose, uh, of this volume is that we, and it was also, again, another challenge, is that we brought together a, a, a very different uh, uh, um, panoply spectrum of, characters, so to speak, of colleagues, colleagues from different, uh, obviously, Western world, but uh, um, given the topic, but very different uh, intellectual, academic, scholarly backgrounds, different ages. Uh, and that was in itself uh, a, a challenge. So uh, in that sense, I think it taught us, um, even if neither Lazar nor I are uh, very academically very too young, but still it taught us something. I think you, Lazar, would agree with this, uh, intellectually and scholarly, professionally, you know, how to work with uh, such a different gamut spectrum of people. And um, so that's one thing which has to do with your question, you know, how does it that has impacted the volume, drawing, you know, the work in the volume has impacted our career in a way or way of modus operandi, so to speak. And the second thing is it personally, I've started it with, in collaboration with other colleagues from the University of Helsinki and NYU Abu Dhabi, a project on the crisis of expertise and the, and the figure of the experts in, in history, not just in Europe, but also in other contexts. So in that sense, reflecting on crisis has been key uh, because as for instance, brought me back to Plato uh, and, and what Plato has to say about crisis and experts. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, Laszlo. Would you like to add anything? Uh, what was the... Nothing key... on my side. Nothing on your side, okay. Uh, well, thank you so much to you both. Um, for me personally, discussing this, this topic with you has definitely encouraged uh, the research of this topic much, much further, and I'm sure the listeners as well. So I encourage everyone to, to take a look at uh, crisis and renewal in the history of European political thought. Um, And thank you to you both for discussing it with me Uh, and hopefully we'll talk again soon on your next works. Thank you very much. Thank you you so much, Monica. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. It's It's been a pleasure.